Welcome to the Stories We Don't Tell. I'm Stefan. I'm Joey. And I'm Paul. And this is a podcast about storytelling. July 5th, 2007. Day 2. Pros and cons list. Pros. I want a tan. I want muscles. I want money. (laughs) Bug bites make me look tough. My muscles ache from hard work. Being in picking mode is actually kind of fun. Laura says we're going to be rich. Nah, I'm here already. Cons, it's too hot. Ugh, sharing a tent with Laura. So many slivers in my hands from the ladders. The mountains suck. Made $170 in two days of backbreaking work. My eyes burn from all the tree shit. Everyone is so competitive. Not leaving for another month is too long. (sighs) Laura's a know-it-all. So, you see, we left Winnipeg the day before, heading to BC to pick fruit, to pick cherries, to be exact. The plan was to drive through the night, taking turns while the other one slept. Laura and I were in our early to mid-twenties, Along with a handful of friends, we co-owned and co-ran a vegan cafe. Laura came from New Zealand just to be a part of our worker cooperative. We were punks. We could get by on almost nothing. We felt invincible. I felt invincible. I lasted only four days at fruit picking. Fourteenth May, 2007, six weeks from cherry picking commencement. Laura and I got a job today from July 4th to 26th on an organic farm in the Okanagan Valley. I still can't believe the luck of it all that Laura invited me, me, of all people. Of course, of course, Morgan and Sonia had turned her down first. But I'm saving the day by saying yes. It's also perfect since I'd helped with the engine conversion from diesel to vegetable oil. Take that, tree planter friends. Now I'm super badass too. Maybe cherry picking is my niche. June 25th, 2007. I'm really struggling with this mic, you guys, but um, just slightly up. You know what, it's cool. I'm just gonna, this is, this is uh, entertainment, you guys. Um, June 25th, 2007, two weeks from cherry picking commencement. Laura's the smartest. We need to save money, but also get enough protein and the right amount of amino acids. She did the research and amaranth is half the price of quinoa, but has nearly the, the, nearly the identical nutritional profile. So we bought a 50 pound bag to get us through the season. The picking workday means only two main meals per day. We eat breakfast at 4.30 a.m., 
and supper at 5.30 p.m. Ingeniously, we'll have a sweet porridge for breakfast with some raisins, maybe some cinnamon and honey, and occasionally we'll get wild and throw some cherries in there. And for dinner, we'll just, you know, throw some soy sauce and fresh vegetables or nuts, whatever we can find. And because we have some options, I'm sure we'll never get tired of eating the same thing. <laughs> July 2nd, 2007, two days prior to picking commencement. This road trip with Laura is fun. Except, of course, we smell of deep fryer. Not from anything that happened at the cafe before leaving. Instead, it's because of the used vegetable oil that's running this truck. <laughs> Apparently, when converted and running on used oil, the oil will heat to a point that reminds the nose of the oil's life history. And thus, as a result of sitting inside a compartment only vaguely removed from the fuel tank by a thin sheet of metal, we reek of said oil. Scents of fish sticks and french fries and jalapeno poppers fill the cab until we can almost taste it. The truck's maiden cross-country voyage is interesting. We don't anticipate needing as much oil as we do, and so we're scoping out greasy spoons along the way for anything we can use. Even though it's technically garbage, because it's used oil, we heard that the oil requires proper disposal because of some law thing, so I'm pretty sure we looked a little sketchy. <laughs> We pull up to the back of this restaurant, right up to this huge dumpster. Truck idling with Laura in the driver's seat, I get out and slink over to this 50-pounder oil canister nestled beside the garbage and slowly begin to drag it back to the truck. A creaky door opens to the back of the building, this heavy kind that swings shut with a loud, solid thud. And this guy is just standing there, stopped in his tracks, holding a cigarette. Our eyes lock for definitely a few seconds longer than comfortable. It's completely quiet except for the chugging of the truck. I look at Laura who, while staring him down, just says, let's go. <laughs> Looking back at the guy for only a moment, his expression suspiciously curious yet placid, I finish dragging the canister to the rear of the truck and hoist it in. With a satisfactory clunk against the bare metal, I climb into the passenger seat while the stare down between the two of them still continues. I close my door. Laura puts the pedal to the metal and we're off, the guy in the distance getting smaller and smaller. We drive quietly for a couple of minutes, getting back in the groove of highway travel, nothing yet playing on the radio. We turn slowly towards each other and burst out laughing, the kind that lasts for minutes and ends with high-pitched wheezes and gasps for breath. But have you ever known somebody so incredibly amazing in your life that inspires you every day and you just want to tell everybody how incredible they are? How, how much they seek to include people and how wonderful they are to everyone and even if they do something wrong, they just will do whatever it takes to make it right? The kind of person who can take a shitty old t-shirt and make it look so fucking cool. That's Laura. July 4th, 2007, day one. That Laura 
walking around like she already owns the place. While I spend 20 minutes setting up, she's up the ladder and has a bucket filled in that time. I mean, sure, she's worked on farms before, in New Zealand, like a lot of farms, in a country that has way more fruit to be picked. But still, she's completely ignoring me throughout the workday. I don't understand. I thought we'd get closer. July 5th, 2007, day two. I hate it here. The mountains make me feel dizzy and nauseous and anxious. I'm feeling more miserable than I normally do. It's only been two days and I'm thinking of leaving. I feel stupid and I'm not enjoying any of my time on this farm. I'm a slow picker and no one gives me any suggestions. They just snicker. I'm starting to think I don't make a very good physical laborer. <laughs> July 6th, 2007, day three. What I need explained to me is how to handle the wasps, the tree juice, and the splinters. We're picking at an older growth cherry farm with massive trees that are over a story tall, which particularly means that there are many wasp families that have made these trees their home, hives and all. While I'm trying not to get stung by a thousand wasps, when carefully placing delicate cherries into a plastic tub a quarter of the size of my body, I'm also trying to avoid numerous splinters from the rickety old ladders. I somehow manage to be one of the last pickers to set up for the day, which means that I always wind up with one of the worst ladders. You can't wear gloves because that detracts from the dexterity, meaning crushed cherries, and then they can't be sold, and then I can make no money, which is why we came here. <laughs> What's worse yet? While trying to avoid the wasps by gingerly placing my hands on the ladder, I'm also struggling, struggling to keep my hat in place. It keeps getting caught in the branches above, and the tree jizz just drips right into my face and into my eyes. It burns and it's sticky. It's no wonder it takes me almost two hours to fill a bucket. And then there's Laura. At $20 an eight liter bucket, she can fill three or four in an hour during her best work. She's making nearly 500 a day. July 7th, 2007, day four. Sitting under a shaded cherry tree post unusually short work day. Cherry pickers aren't outright discouraged from eating the fruit they're picking. And I'd wondered why until this morning. Fun fact. How many cherries can you eat before you get the shits? <laughs> About 67. <laughs> July 8th, 2007, day one. New life post cherry picking. I am adaptable to a point. Who am I even? I feel drained from running from my life. I think that's what I've been doing. Avoiding real life or whatever. But maybe not. Maybe I'm just adventurous. Are they not one and the same? So this week I found a letter, an unsent letter, that I wrote to Laura almost four years to the day after cherry picking. After working on the story for almost two months and having no idea what I really wanted it to say, 
uh, I woke up, I burst awake in the middle of the night and remembered that this letter existed in a box that I keep a bunch of blank cards and my fancy stationary paper. And I had chastised myself for years for having never finished the letter and sending it. And I mean, I even addressed it. But I didn't know how to finish it. I didn't know what, the, what was left to be said. But it's possible that maybe it's enough. Fifteenth July, 2011. Laura, it's been so very long, my dear. How I miss you. I find myself thinking of you. Where you're at in life, what keeps you busy, what keeps you in love. It's important to me that we shared important moments in each other's lives. Well, I think I've gotten a chance, I've finally gotten a chance to sit down and focus and concentrate on writing to you. Not surprisingly, it involves travel. I'm on my way, by train, back to Toronto from some time in Winnipeg. Things have been super intense and I'm quite happy to go back home, to Toronto. I'm still trying to figure out what it means to call another place home other than that single most important place where much growing up happens. I know you've had thoughts on this too. It's hard trying to sort through it all. My strong ties to Winnipeg are fraying, although I do still have my best friends and family there. Toronto now represents who I've become, who I will continue to grow into. Finally, I'm at a point in my life where what I do is for me. I love it. Thank you. But in fact, because I struggled a lot with this one, this is the first one that I wrote that I was writing for months. And whereas for many of them, not to brag, uh, but for many of them, I would sit down and have a rough draft, not something ready to be shared and told in, in front of an audience, but that I would um, basically write a rough draft in one sitting. And with this one, I oh went back to the drawing board so many times and didn't know what it was going to be. And so it ended up, it ended up I think, you know, uh, there's something to be learned from having that be the process. Well, this is the Stories You Don't Tell podcast. I'm Stefan, also here with Paul. <clears throat> I was really hoping that we could just have the whole conversation and then at the end say... Can you introduce yourself? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. We'll wait for that. Well, then let's just hear the story then. Now that we've heard the story, do you want to tell us who you are? My name is Joey. So this is like a mashup. Okay, so we've done, what have we done? We've done a, a series called Five and Fives. We've done a series called After Dark. We've done a series of Five and Five After Dark. And now uh, we've got Joey here with us, who we convinced to come on the podcast. 
That's right. Okay. <laughs> I just thought you were going to say something, and then I wasn't sure. She's just going to walk out the door, actually. She yeah. was very close to just leaving. She's like, Maybe not. no, you didn't. And she's out. Uh, so thank you for sharing this wonderful story. It's great. You just told it uh, at our uh, live event, right? So, But you were talking about that this one is a little bit more challenging for you. So I was kind of interested in the process, where, where this started, because this started from a very different place than what it ended up, where it ended up going. So maybe you can take us through the process of this piece. Sure. So there's two ways to answer that. I'm going to try to remember to do both. Um, this started actually a couple of years ago when I had not told a story yet or been to a workshop and I had just proposed to, to step in a story about all the jobs that I quit and, um, just in a conversation we had and it was sort of hilarious and it was, and I was encouraged to write this thing down. And every time I went to write it, um, it just sort of morphed. I didn't really know what it was. And then before I knew it, I had a different story to run with. And so every time... I went back to it. Um, I still didn't quite know what it was going to be. And then uh, a couple of months ago at a workshop, I still didn't know what it would be and was just encouraged to talk through it. And so went through a bunch of what I thought were really inane and stupid stories about different jobs I quit until we landed on this one where everyone seemed interested to want to hear more. And then before we knew it, I was talking about a bunch of details that were in and of themselves enough to make a story. And in fact, if I tried to tell more things, it would not be a cohesive and an interesting thing. In our defense, you did say the words tree jizz uh, at one point in the, in the pitch, which I felt like was immediately a, a question beginner. That's for sure. Well, people don't give trees enough credit. Like they, they do as much as people all the time. Wow. <laughs> oh right remember when i said i had two things to say and i yeah. hope i remember both of them yeah do you have a second one right now i do well we'll jump right in every time i went to write it i didn't really know what the theme or the point was i think i think that's the thing so every other story that i've i've sat down to write which is why getting a a, a draft at least a cohesive narrative out hasn't really been a struggle but with this one um i didn't really know what the story was supposed to be about. And I think that's, that's, uh, that's both exciting because it means, you know, it's, it rests upon the listener to, um, take their own meaning from it. But at the same time, you can't go that far with every story because then suddenly it's about nothing. And so that's kind of what I felt I was up against. And, um, and so each, in my sense, a lot of storytelling, at least the way I write, is I, I start with vignettes. And so there'll be pieces of, or like moments that I'm trying to describe. And with this one, they were so disparate and unconnected that I didn't know how to weave them together. And basically how to weave them together is what would make the story. Um, and so each, that was the thing. So each time I sat down, I wrote so many vignettes that uh, without, basically if I tried to weave them all together, it would have been like, an 80 minute story. Yeah. So the struggle was really just to decide what it was going to, what the narrative weaving together would end up being. Was that what you did is you went back and actually found old writings you had done, right? You'd found these writings you had done previously, which a is a good uh, pitch for journaling generally. Cause then if you want to tell a story five years down the road or 10 years down the road, you can then be like, look back at it and be like, Oh, this was what I was thinking then, which turned out to be a massive surprise for you. And you end up finding multiple different versions of this. Yeah, I think that was that was the interesting part to all of us because every time 
I had I had I'd written I'd written uh, a journal entry. I had also written um well it was mostly there was different there were different journals and then there was um a letter that I wrote but but basically uh that was the interesting thing is when I that's right in the workshop we were sitting here talking and this is before I really dug up the journal at the time I had I had the journal that's right I had <laughs> I had the journal entries from the recent writings where I was trying to figure out what the story might be but that predated that was like two years ago so I was looking back at that and at that point I hadn't looked at the journals from the time of the actual story um and when I went back to do that it it turned into a totally different narrative um in the sense that my memory my memory of what happened was very different than what it was at that time the way I recorded it then and then you get back to this letter that has a third sort of like already by the letter point of the letter you you almost have this that you had sort of end the story on has almost a third version of this narrative. I mean, as I, I explained in the story, the letter I only ended up finding like a week before, two weeks before there was enough time to actually whatever. It was, it was a short period of time where basically the funny thing is I, for years that letter was in the forefront of my mind and, you know, with the chastising myself for having never finished and sent it, but then it, I'd completely forgotten. Um, but that's, that was basically it. So to get to your point, Stefan, about the value of journaling um, for later when telling stories, if you're trying to figure out what the narrative is, going back to those writings can actually be really helpful, um, especially if, uh, you know, it, it, it can help weave through where you, what it is you want to say. Like, cause basically if I had written it, with only my recollections from it, I think the story would have been quite different. Like I think in, in the workshop we were, we were not quite, I feel like it was very surface. It, then it would end up, it was like more of an adventure story. It's like, this is what it's like to fruit pick. And there's definitely adventure story woven into this, but really Paul, as you say, like it's, it's a lot more about like a friendship narrative or like about a major, like a turning point in one's life and trying to decide like what, like who they are and what they want to do. And so um, I think without the journal, the journals, I wouldn't have, that that narrative wouldn't have come through. For this particular episode, because it's a little bit just sort of about, uh, you know, you'll be joining us on the podcast. And so uh, it's a little bit of introduction to Joey. Um, I wonder if you sort of have a, have, a, have a thought, maybe what helped you on this particular story or, or a thought about, uh, about you know, the, the storytelling more generally that you'd sort of like lay a little tidbit at the end for people who've made it to the, to the end of this half hour of pure genius. So this is like the toy you get in something like a Kinder Surprise. Well, specific, yeah, yes, because exactly. you eat the chocolate first, and if you open the toy first, then you got it. What are you doing with your life? <laughs> then you, exactly, yes, that, that, yes. So a uh, Kinder Surprise <laughs> shame uh, number one. Uh, you also do get me at the end of this entire thing coming up with a very weird sponsorship ad uh, that Paul <laughs> hates. Uh, but the most actually useful thing is whatever you're about to say right now. After storytelling events, like the actual live events. Uh, I wind up having conversations with people and they're like, why do you do this? Why do you tell stories? And I feel like there's a lot of reasons, but one of the ones, like, obviously it's, I think it's exciting as somebody who enjoys writing and performing. That's one aspect, but there's, there's a whole other, and this is a maybe cheesy element to it, but there's a whole element of actually like building community around sharing stories. And just a lot of the times, the kinds of things that we share are, they don't necessarily have to be very hard to hear, but sometimes they're, they're sometimes hard to express publicly or they're not things that we do express publicly a lot. 
And one of the joys for me, even if even if I don't talk to people that I don't know after an event about um, something, it's really wonderful to see the connection on people's faces and to know that um, people showed up. Like like we, we've, we've talked about a lot recently how there's a ton of people who show up every time who we've never met before. Um, we don't know who they are and they somehow find out and it's really beautiful. It's just so beautiful that, um, no, I did say this was going to be cheesy. So that was your warning, but basically it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a really beautiful thing to, uh, to share, to share in people's lives with stories. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Visit storieswedonttell.org and like our Facebook page for more information about our monthly events. And for more stories, check out our book, available anywhere books are sold. This episode of the Stories of Tell podcast is brought to you by content. Content. Because that's what Paul is all about. (laughs) 